It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplexes and at the art house. Warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. You'll also hear about new and old films on Blu-ray and on DVD. Plus, you'll hear all the latest Hollywood gossip. I don't care! Okay, maybe not the latter, but it is time for film sociology with WFYI's film guru. Kaiser Shizzy! No, that's Matthew Sosi. It's such a fine line between stupid and, and clever, yes. Let's see how thin the line is. Here's your host, Matthew Sosi. film lovers and welcome to film sociology a film talk show here on wfyi hd to the point and wfyi.org if you have a question or a comment you can email me at msocey that's m-s-o-c-e-y at wfyi.org also on facebook also on twitter at matthew socey the show is available as a podcast it's also available on itunes and we have a blog which someday we'll update at filmsociology.tumblr.com hang out with me in studio today the a and E editor, that's arts and entertainment editor of the Indiana Business Indianapolis Business Journal, the IBJ. Indianapolis it's, IBJ. We want to do. I'm I'm a big fan of switching the whole thing to just IBJ. That's how people know us. There you go. It's like KFC, only <laughs> healthier. It's Lou Harry hanging out with me. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? <sighs> hanging in there. It is Easter weekend, so the Ten Commandments will be on network television, even though you can watch it anytime. And and by the way, do you consider that an Easter film? I. <laughs> no, I don't at all. But it's a Easter tradition, which is kind of different. Tradition. It's not. Um, a, that's not a, that that's tradition. not an Easter film. No, that is not. <laughs> well, because for years I have been wanting to direct "It's a Wonderful Life," especially the radio production. I've been mm. wanting to direct "It's a Wonderful Life" in a non-December month because okay. I think it is a life-affirming film. Mm. It just so happens that it is set in. Christmas, part of it is right. set in Christmas time. I think because of network television, mm -hmm. by that same rationale, that means The Ten Commandments is an Easter film, right. and The Wizard of Oz is a Thanksgiving film, and that sounds right. silly. But you can also tell those of us who existed in a pre- um, recorded cable. media, yeah. cable. This was the only time you could see it. Right, exactly. You looked for it. Same thing with The Wizard of Oz. I mean, it was the once a year annual thing. I'm kind of stunned that's still a thing, that especially with the networks. Yeah. yeah, because there's still... A us and older demographic. Those that still have more wood than television <laughs> with their television. So, but how many times have you been in that situation where you you own a film, but you click buy it on TV and you end up watching it anyway, even though you're it's halfway through? I love my wife and uh -huh. my daughter. That happens sometimes. No, there's a there's a <laughs> uh, no there's a sports show out of Chicago I listen to. In fact, they just did a, a segment. They do this rotating thing on Fridays, and one of those ones is Tales of Laziness. <laughs> And and the, I mean things like you know taking your dishes to the uh, self dishwa self uh, car cleaning 
right. you know, self, that sort of car yeah. wash. But a guy who had rented a movie, tossed it on the dining room table, flopped onto the couch, uh-huh. and was so lazy, didn't, and he didn't want to get up, he just took the remote and rented the movie <laughs> through the TV that he had just rented. Pat Oswalt has a great bit about uh, going through the like lean cuisine section of the supermarket, looking at the back and rejecting those that require you to stir and put back in for another minute. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is the same group that you would you would type 99 seconds cuz you don't feel like moving your finger down to the zero. So anyway, that's 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 kind of right. what we're at here. So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, it is yes, it is Easter weekend and uh there's only really there's only th- actually uh three films that open this weekend. Um the 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 smallest of the films is the uh, the art film Eye in the Sky. This is the one that has yes for you uh, for you uh, fetishes out fetish folks out there Helen Mirren in camouflage. This oh, is one with Cam- uh, Helen Mirren. It's uh, apparently the final screen performance of Alan Rickman. Mm-hmm. Aaron Paul is in this, and it's what happens uh, if there's miscommunications involving a dro- potential drone strike. Uh, kind of has the feel of a 21st century uh, Crimson Tide. Mm. A little bit of fail safe, not Doctor Strange love. Fail safe thrown in for measure. So, anyway, that is uh, that is opening in theaters this weekend, as yeah. well as you. I think what do we refer to this as harmless but not necessary? My big fat Greek wedding two. Yeah, although don't you feel like there's been one? I mean, if if there's been a TV series already, but that died so fast. I know, but does that make this two and a half? Does it make it three? <laughs> Well, of course, the Onion already made a joke there that she Nia Vardalis is now preparing my big fat Greek funeral. But uh, well, it could. But, Although, uh, just checking the uh, Alan Reichman real quick, there is some voice work on Alice through the Looking Glass as the blue caterpillar. Oh, that's true. Still to be seen. So it's a matter of do you consider what is considered the last film? I mean, do we consider Orson Welles' last film the voice work on Transformers, Transformers in the 80s? Yeah. Oh my God. Okay, as you can tell, the show's going all over the place, which is fine, because I love Lou. Um, I was in Chicago this past week and got to see, speaking of Orson Welles, got to see the film Chimes at Midnight, also known as Falstaff's Greatest Hits, <laughs> and not not entirely written by Shakespeare. It's like it's like Orson Welles took um, Henry IV, parts one and two, Henry V, and a little bit of Merry Wives, and kind of put it in a Cuisinart, and uh, and made himself look good, like a like a really bad Santa. So, but it is one of his actually completed films from the mid '60s, so that should be commended. But anyway. I would also, if you like, if you like that or can't get to that, right? I do recommend the Hollow Crown TV series. Yes, that was done in England, which strung together. It's not that kind of cut and paste. But to get the bigger version of that full I own, saga, I own the DVD of Henry V because oh, I just I just directed a uh, a, a radio version of that uh, in another city. But uh, but yeah, good to see Tom with the crown. Right, and they are they are sequelizing that. They're apparently making in the next round of royal British plays. Oh, cool! And speaking of Tom Hiddleston, apparently next week his film as uh, Hank Williams, I See the Light, will uh-huh. be coming to Indianapolis theaters, which some of you in Indianapolis would have seen festivalizing. If you're moving ahead, just working a few ahead, months ago. That's right, the festival. Okay, I guess we have to talk about it. It's the big film. It's the biggest film of the year this week. Mm. Um, it's a superhero movie opening in March. This really shouldn't surprise anybody because it's not being released in May or June for good reason. Yeah, Batman versus Superman. I saw this on Tuesday with my fellow IFJA guys. I also wound up seeing it last night because what? No, I'm, I'm going to explain because there's there's a group of uh, friends 
that uh, we get together and watch movies all the time. A and group of super friends? No, not super friends. Okay. No. All right. No. Didn't know if you dressed up. No. I'm okay. a grown man <laughs> with a wife and a child. I'm not dressing up. I can't wait for your emails. But, um, no, there's a group, of, a, a group of friends that we get together and go to movies. And the last time I had scheduled one and had to cancel it immediately, and we had already discussed going to see this film. Plus, I wasn't sure if I was going to be back in indie. Tuesday night for the screening, and as it turned out, I did, and I wanted to stick to my word. So at the very least, and this happens rarely as a film critic, I got to see the same film twice in the same week, and and so seeing it the second time, I wanted to see if it would change my outlook on the film. No, it doesn't. It does not. <laughs> it's directed by Zack Snyder. Yes, you finally have uh, Batman versus Superman, or as The Onion had a great uh, review of it, an audio review, um, it's it, for this particular critic... It reminded him of of his parents' marriage falling apart. Two things you grew up loving, and now they're at each other's throats, throats literally and figuratively. Lou Harry, how did you uh, how did you handle the near two and a half hour experience of Batman versus Superman? I labeled my review Batman v Superman v my patience. It was that's. I mean, that's with a E N C E yeah. as opposed to uh, you're not a doctor. I mean, if you if you miss. It, it, I never thought I'd, I'd said in my review. I never thought I'd miss the cheerfulness of Christopher Nolan's <laughs> Batman movies. I miss Christopher Nolan. Period. Well, I know he's an executive producer on this. He's still no, not directing. No, it's it, particularly the first hour of it. It's just a what are they thinking slog. It's not a fun. Oh, let's look at them mess this up. It's just a depressing. Somebody at work asked me, "Can you tell me no spoilers what the movie's like?" I said. Grunt, grimace, grunt, <laughs> grimace, grunt, grimace. When when we went to the screening on Tuesday, there was a filmed message from director Zack Snyder asking us not to give away any plot points or spoilers or that sort of thing. And the, and the only time I MST, I, I try not to MST a movie because, right. you know, I'm a semi-professional. But I said, I'll do it if you turn into Christopher Nolan. <laughs> um, There's no... There, there... There's really nothing to spoil in this. No, there really isn't. That's the other annoying thing. When somebody tells you, oh, there's going to be a great twist. Oh, there's going to be something surprising. Wait till you see this. It's called Batman versus Superman. Right. So. <laughs> I was, and we already know that there are going to be cameos, and we know that they're setting up this universe, and we know that they really want some of that Avengers money, and we know how that works. But, you know, the, it, it, the it, Avengers it, movies had, what, six or eight films to set you up for, so you... That's a cared. lot. That's a lot of work too. Oh, I know, but yeah, <laughs> but at least it got you to a point where you cared about the downtime, you know. Yeah. In this, the the downtime is just as bad as the the costumed time. Well, here's uh, Christopher Lloyd, our our uh, fellow IFJA. Uh, this this was a great write up. He did this on the twenty second. Mm-hmm. Let's take that Warner Warner Brothers. But yeah, you're talking about lack of spoilers. So this is this is Chris's post, and it's pretty dead on. I, normally, I would play play mm. you the trailer. Don't need to. So here we go. Predictions for tonight's 153 minute screening. First 20 minutes, portents and warnings. Luther sets things in motion. 21 to 30, brief nonviolent face off and quip fest. 31 to 45, Batman preparation montage, secondary characters introed, more Luther plotting. 46 to 60, first throwdown, inconclusive outcome, but Soup's really holding back. 
Uh, clearly holding back. Major collateral loss to Batman's arsenal. Bye-bye Batwing and or Batmobile. 61-70. to 70, Bruce broods and heals. Clark carries on as Earth's champion. Luther recalibrates. 71 to 85, second big clash, Batsuit surprise, Krypton Sun about to go down win, 86 to 95, fight interrupted by Wonder Woman, she reveals Luthor behind it all, heroes kvetch and grudgingly agree to truce. 96 to 105, Luthor seeds, launches big burn it all down plan via doomsday, something environmentally bad happens, raising Aquaman's ire. (laughs) 106 to 115, heroes assemble. 116 to 135, mayhem team fights Doomsday, who's defeated but not defeated, defeated. Luther exiled. 136 to 145, we should do this again, heroes muse. We might need a name. 146, credits roll. Right, which would have been a much better Bra- movie. Bravo, Chris. Bra- yeah, he's actually right on that right. one. Right, <laughs> what he didn't include in there, which ends up in there, is... You know, person getting hit in the head with a porcelain sink. Uh, Batman branding somebody brutally. Uh, practic- torture porn with uh, Superman's mom. That kind of stuff is not mentioned. No, it's it, I well. mean, it's infuriating because it's, it's that person. It's like that person who wants to be taken seriously and misreads all the cues about what being taken seriously means. Yeah, the, the film, like, yeah, obviously, it's too long. It's a, it's a half hour too long. I don't care about long. But, no, I mean, I've either. been to 50-minute fringe shows, plays that feel way too long, and I which was just at a five-and-a-half-hour show in Chicago that I could have done another two hours of. I understand. You know, but I don't it, mind two-and-a-half hours. No, I'll take two-and-a-half hours of Christopher Nolan because Christopher Nolan has a vision, and he's not afraid to let things breathe, even right. if it is with Hans Zimmer's bombastic score, which I still like. Yeah, and I wasn't in love with a lot of the third uh, Nolan film. But... but, but this, this film, just... there's there's a lot as 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 Lou said. There's a lot of setup, especially on the front end on this. Does anyone need except unless they're trolling like knockoff porn on the internet? Do you need to see Lois Lane nude in a bathtub? Yes. With no, you don't. With super with Clark Kent climbing in with her. Actually, I I well okay. No, not, in not a, for, not in for, one of the lamest romantic scenes. Not for you know, besides the superficial reason oh, which no, I sorry. just gave. But but I think the complaint with the last time was we didn't get enough of Clark. Now we're not getting bumbling Clark Kent. Sky point to Chris Reeve, but but the fact that we see that relationship between Clark and Lois. Well, you don't I'm, see, I'm you all don't, right with I that. I don't see any relationship. All I see is her being put in the peril and him having lame scenes. At but the but Daily they smooch Planet. in the bathtub and then he smooches her after catching her off a building. Not a spoiler alert. Um, but uh, no, a lot of setup. A lot of you know what? I don't need to see the Wayne parents killed again. This is the third time in what nineteen years. Yeah. I don't need that. And if, or seeing and, and, it over and over yeah. again. They show and, it multiple times. And if Middle America's mall crowd can't figure out the origin of Batman, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I can't help you. And how many dreams? See, I mean, does he don't need does the he dreams. really fall thirty feet into a bat pit? Don't yeah. Don't need the dreams. Yeah, Cost is yeah. Kevin Costner has a cameo, so does Michael Shannon. Don't need that. If you take if you take the the dreams and the flashbacks out. You, you still have a lousy but, movie. Yeah, well, you yeah, still but, have a movie with people you don't care about grunting at each other have, and being forced into a plot that nobody believes. You have a, you have a CGI action fest right. that yeah, you can't see anything. And we, okay. I was actually, of. I'm in the minority in, in what I've read after, I mean, I just went home and wrote and didn't read what anyone had to say. I didn't even right. talk to any of you guys on the way out, so I had no idea if you all loved it or not. No. But I actually, unlike a lot of the reviews, was tolerant of Lex Luthor because at least... There was some energy in it. At least there was some life in it. No, it wasn't a traditional Lex Luthor. No. But 
it was a hell of a lot more interesting than Kevin Spacey. I think he did a character arc from slightly twitchy to major twitchy. Right. And that's about it. And they were channeling some of Joker, you know, and all that. But at least something was happening on screen. Uh, I know. No, I'll just. I, I, that's I, right. I, I that think, doesn't make it worthwhile. No, I, I I'm think, saying I in, think, the, in the middle of this sludge pile. Yeah. If Mark, to me, it was if, some. If Mark Zuckerberg was on Red Bull and cocaine, <laughs> that's probably that's probably Eisenberg's performance for me. But it was something I hadn't exactly seen in every other. No, it's part. not. No, it is not. And yeah, and 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 yes, there is a question about uh, Mr. Luthor's grooming. Yes, yeah, stay for it if you yeah. must. Um, okay. So yeah, it, it it is it is not a fun film. Um, yeah. But and not one I would take a ten year old to either. And boy, we saw the kids. We, well, the parents probably just saw the title, and that's all there oh, is. Oh, exactly. To it. And, you, and they're probably going to be Happy Meal characters and all that. But do you want your kid to see somebody hit with a porcelain sink over the head? Do you want well, you want to see somebody get a bullet to the head? Well, we just we just watched my daughter and I just watched Crimson Peak last right. last week, and somebody got bludgeoned with a sink on that. And no, I'm 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 right. being I'm being a smart aleck in, at Lou's expense. <laughs> okay. Um, that being said. And I know we've been griping a lot for the first uh, dozen minutes or so. I liked Ben Affleck as Batman. Yeah, and he was I, nothing to do. It wasn't particularly. It was. It was an old. The fact that we're going to see an older, slightly more grizzled uh, Bruce Wayne and Batman. I'm cool with that. So write him. Write him a scene where he's allowed to be a human. Well, being. that'll be the next one. That's. I know we got to wait through the next one. And uh, yes, of course, and not just for superficial reasons. Not enough Gail Godot. As as yeah. Wonder Woman, who who when she arrives mm-hmm. and and both nights, yeah. both screenings, thunderous applause and a much needed shot of energy amongst right. this kind of, okay. um, but the people male male grunting and, uh, and punching, yeah. But in in the world, the people who are saying I might go just to see Wonder Woman, you get you're, about eight minutes. Yeah, you're going to be Woman. let down on that, but it is a solid eight minutes, and yeah, uh, it's it's a. Compared to what else is going on? Oh, compared to what it, what you just slogged through. Yeah. yeah, but it's like going through a stretch of, of highway in the dark for four hours and then finding a White Castle. Is she there <laughs> serving? No, just the fact that it's I something actually different. Want, I actually now want a White Castle with Wonder Woman, Lois Lane in a leather skirt, and Ma Kent. That's go. not bad. So yeah, when you want Ma Kent, that's hey, uh, well. Okay, the fact that Diane Lane is playing it, of course. Now, now getting should... beat up and tortured, which we don't see, just but the photos. you see enough of the reaction, right? And you see photos, and, it, and no, okay. no. Um, and by the way, I think what Marissa Tomei is Peter Parker's aunt now. So right. I think what next right. year, next year it might be Kaylee Cuoco right. uh, as as Peter Parker's aunt. Anyway, so or, yeah, or one of the Trump spouses, depending. You no. Now you just now you, now I thought I brought the show down. Um, I'm just hoping he'll need the work. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, um, not not a fan. No, <laughs> don't don't. Yeah, it's it's a it's a real bummer. It is a real letdown. Yeah. I'm not I'm not a fan of Zack Snyder's work. I think I think my favorite of his is Watchmen, and that's uneven at best. The best Watchmen's opening credits are among the best opening credits of any movie ever. And then, but it's got just. If you haven't seen the movie, don't bother, I would say. But go to YouTube and watch the opening credits. Yeah, unless you're into Billy Crudup's giant blue whatever. Um, so, yeah, that's out there, and it's out. Yay. <laughs> Yay. And so We're really, I'm really curious to see what the box office will be for it, given how universally panned it's been. Yeah, there's there's been some fun memes that I think right now, at the time of that we're recording this, spoiler alert, um, I think Paul Blart 
and The Room, the room. have higher Rotten Tomato ratings than Batman versus Superman. Of course, time will change over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and 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 you know we we've talked about many times on the show when critics talk about our the critics calendar year, mm-hmm. and you know the fact that we are in post Oscar. There's a period between post-Oscar and summer blockbuster season, and, you know, the studio's got to put something out. So the fact that they put a superhero movie, Warner Brothers put a superhero movie out in March, and their next superhero movie is going coming out in August mm-hmm. with Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. And, of course, in between, we will have Marvel's uh, Captain America Civil War, if you're into that. It just After, after seeing Deadpool twice, um, having to go back into the... The Marvel uh, Avengers and getting the flow charts and pie graphs and making sure everything's caught up. There is that. So, yeah, folks, it's out there. Go see it if if you really want to. Well, I think we're just saying no. Yeah. So, all right, let's uh, let's move on to what is out on DVD and Blu-ray. And I'm looking at the titles, and it's the older titles are more interesting than the newer titles on DVD and Blu-ray. What do you got? Mockingjay Part Two. Mm. I'm I'm an old I'm an old crusty person and I want one book one film. There you go. And uh, Mockingjay Part Two is a video See, game. I miss the good old days of when they didn't tell the actors that they were making the Three Musketeers and Four Musketeers at the same time. Ah, uh, that old rule. Yeah, <laughs> it's thanks. To, it was the, the Scotlands, I believe, who did that. Yeah. So we we kind of partially thank and blame them. <laughs> um, I because I think if you are a big fan of the Hunger Games or. Uh, the Hobbit or any of those, if you made a three-hour, or Harry Potter, a three-hour slam-bang finale, mm-hmm. you don't you don't need two films. Money, and, money. And, and, money, yeah. money, oh, money. That. Money, money, money. Yes, thank you, Sally. Um, <laughs> well aware of that, but that's why I'm here and not, right. at, not, right. not at Warner Brothers or at Sony. Um, right. But yeah, Mockingjay Part 2 is a lot of running and shooting, running and shooting, running and shooting, mm-hmm. not killing snow. Sorry, just, you know, big confrontation. It doesn't really happen. Julianne Moore with gray hair, credits. So that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I also rented I also rented Daddy's Home. Oh. With the, the, the team, the comedy reunitings of Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. Will Ferrell, always funnier in seven minutes on a talk show than he is in a feature in film In a feature film. Days. Or when, to, when he's actually been forced to direct, to be directed by somebody. Um, because I guess because of the success of The Other Guys, which was a cop comedy I liked mm-hmm, with the two of sure. them, mm-hmm. um, they are back. Uh, this time, Farrell is a stepfather who's trying to get in good with his new stepkids, and he's married to Linda Cardinelli. Way to go, big shooter. And then uh, bad boy, ex-husband, uh, you know, paternal dad comes home from out of nowhere and offers a kind of Batman versus Superman uh, competition of uh, masculinity. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Will Ferrell's character is all about studying books, and how to parent and procedures and talk time and trust games. And Mark Wahlberg's not like that at all. And, and, and hilarity is supposed to ensue. Well, here's my question. Yes. In the, the grand historical scheme of things, we tend to be hypercritical of these kind of throw-it-out-there comedies. Right. But are they any better or worse than your average Abbott and Costello movie? Do you know what I mean? Those guys were cranking out a movie every year or so. Right. We remember some of the better ones. Yes. We ignore some of the long stretches of not particularly funny in the... Lesser ones or the middle range ones, or these Zep- or for another one, these Zeppo scenes, or sometimes the right. music breaks. Well, yeah, I mean, I think so. My question, other so, series. so is there, are these films any better or worse? You know, is the Will Ferrell well? I mean, co- I, these I, standard Will Ferrell, and films? I, I 
Probably not, but I'm not. Hmm. I'm not also not of the generation. I don't need questions of what what would happen if Humphrey Bogart were alive today. He'd be 130 no. right. years no, old. No, That's, no, no. I'm not saying that. But, I'm just saying in our perception of these films, right. we tend to throw. You know, we have Rotten Tomatoes. We're looking at all of these right. things. Right. Well, for the average, I would say for this, not not much. Yeah. I mean, there there is a scene that kind of sums it up. Where I thought, I mean. It, it, it decides to go down a, a sillier path, and well, and I shouldn't really be surprised because it is Will Ferrell, mm-hmm. and it is a chance for Mark Wahlberg to do something silly because okay. he's he's a very serious artist uh, normally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the scene where is a scene where Ferrell's character is on Wahlberg's motorcycle, and he of course says he knows how to ride one. Of course he does mm-hmm. not. And when he guns it, and there's a shot. I mean, it's a CG punchline out of I, I didn't really expect coming, but I should have, where he rides the motorcycle into the house up the stairs mm. crashes through a window mm. and lands on top of a car and i'm like okay we're gonna go, we're gonna go down that cartoonish mm. a path what, and what i and, can imagine is the screenwriter writing it without that and i know this happens all the time where somebody's we need a big moment we and need something we can put in the trailer we need something we can put on there give is, me a bigger yeah there is that there's also a scene where a half pipe is built a skateboard half pipe is built in the backyard and will ferrell is going to Show Wahlberg off by jumping off the roof right. with a skateboard that leads to uh, to physical hilarity. A sidebar: When I had a novel that was sold to a major studio in Hollywood, and that when I saw the screenplay that they ended up commissioning based on it, I met the writer. And I understood the challenges. One of the pressures on him was we need those big scenes. We need, a, and it was a subtler comedy. Then and the, I knew they were going to cartoon it up more. Right. But they had they it, there ends up being this giant. The film was never made, by the way. Um, but they ended up with a giant scene not in the book that was at like a uh, medieval times kind of place. Okay. Because they needed somebody to like you know make a fool of himself in a big public arena and do something big in public. And, and doing doing a scene at, uh, at at a night's place like that and nobody saw it in Cable Guy. <laughs> right. So, so we'll try it again. Right. So it was, you know, I I think I don't always blame the screenwriter oh, <laughs> on I get those. It. Because they put in the big stupid scene that they think they can put in the trailer. Well, there there are some big stupid scenes in this. It just didn't do a whole lot for me. Right. So, um, couple old titles of note, and I actually this this is a nice tie-in. Um, a couple of Blu-ray titles because you need these on Blu-ray. You need <laughs> you need Black Mama, White Mama Absolutely. on Blu-ray. And and yeah. according, thanks you thank you to. Uh, the website, The Daily Grindhouse, who informs us that actress Lynn Borden of Black Mama, mm-hmm. White Mama fame, as well as Frogs yeah. and Dirty Mary Crazy Larry. Um, it, she's the one that's not Susan George. Um, anyway, it's her birthday today. So birthday, happy birthday to Lynn, although it's not spelled properly. Hello, Mrs. <laughs> Sosi. Uh, but yeah, Black Mama, White Mama, Pam Greer, and it's basically a female version of the Defiant Ones. Right. Uh, but instead of a Southern prison, of course, it's in the Filipino all female prison because that's what happens in the Philippines. Right, and wasn't wasn't that the one with the ad line on the poster of chicks in chains? Um, well, there were a lot of films yeah. that had that <laughs> similar tagline. So there's a there's yeah. a wonderful documentary called Machete Maidens, and it's about the Filipino exploitation films mm. of the '60s and '70s. Films like the Big Bo- Big Dollhouse, Big Bird Cage, Black Mama, White Mama, of course, Women in Chains, The Arena. Um, a lot of them had Pam Greer, others did not. Uh, but this this is one of the better 
ones for what it is. I mean, mm-hmm. it is a low-budget, grungy exploitation film where a, 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 a black woman and a white woman who are chained and, and in short dresses have to escape prison. Just a matter of time before Quentin Tarantino makes a four-hour version of it. I'm all for that if Morricone's doing the score <laughs> and still slightly better than the Defiant Ones TV remake with Carl Weathers and Robert Ulrich. Robert oh, Yurik. Yeah, I actually yeah. saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny. The, so the director of Machete Maidens, uh, I, as I said before, I went to Chicago, and, and there's some friends, dear friends of mine that I like to inflict cinema upon. <laughs> and uh, so the director of Machete Maidens also did uh, Not Quite Hollywood, which is a wonderful mm-hmm. documentary about the exploitation films, the Australian exploitation mm-hmm. films, pre-Mad Max. Yeah. And he also did a film that came out last year, which I – it is cinematic candy for me. It's, it is a it is a big ice cream sundae called Electric Boogaloo, yep. and it's a documentary about Canon Pictures. Right. Oh. So all of the, all the Charles Bronson, Chuck Norris, right. Dolph Lundgren stuff, the breaking movies that we had to sit through in mm-hmm. the in the eighties and nineties, and it, it's it's a yeah. wonderful telling of just schlocky cinema. Mm-hmm. So that is a lot. Do you have a favorite Canon film? Uh, I always liked what I liked in the ads for Canon films and other ones of that you know of that era were the little taglines at the end. There was always like and Carl Malden as Waldo, you know, <laughs> right. or something like they that. They would get like a legit actor. Somebody would get the little box at the end. I always yep. was interested in who was in the uh, in the tiny box. And one of the things that intrigued me and I forgot is yes, they're known for the the mm. you know I mean it's, they got Sly for a couple films. Oh and, yeah, but, the but, arm wrestling movie, yeah, which I wanted to be top. I wanted to be just be at the meeting. That led to that. God, so bad. We can get Stallone. We got ten days for him. I, I always arm remember, wrestling. I always remember. Yeah, the Golden Globus guys. Mm-hmm. Um, this was back back in the eighties. They had uh, promotional double features. What would happen is a studio. You you would see a, a preview of a film that was going to open like a couple months mm-hmm. from now, and then you would see something that's regular. And and my my the best worst double feature I had was in nineteen eighty seven. The preview film was the first Lethal Weapon. Okay. And we were, you know, as teenage knuckleheads, really wonderfully taken aback by it. I mean, we hadn't seen a buddy cop film that good mm-hmm. since 48 Hours. Right. And so we're really – and then the follow-up, the, the, the feature that was actually there was Over the Top. Oh. <laughs> so, my God. What a what a high and what a low in mm. a span of about four hours. Yeah. Um, but anyway, going back to canon a little bit, um, God, there's so many titles. And some, like, yeah, like the American Ninja series and Delta Force and the Apple, which was supposed right. to be Manahavan Golem's version of Tommy. But they were also really good at... They would get smaller films, and they would get name filmmakers like John Cassavetes and Jean-Luc Godard. Oh, yeah, they did a few and, toward and, the end. Mm-hmm. Right, and they would have a thing of, well, you have to buy – if you want the Charles Bronson movie, you have to put out uh, you know, Zeffirelli's Otello or Norman <laughs> Mailer's Tough Guys Don't Dance or the film Runaway Train. So they were really smart about that, and those were fascinating pictures, even if they weren't always – that right. filmmaker's best work, like John Cassavetti's Love right. Streams. Well, they did those fans of horror films of old school horror. They did House of Long Shadows too. Yeah, they got all the four. They got four of those guys together and, with Desi Arnaz Jr. Yes, and, he, and it, is, <laughs> it is it is made fun of, and we've made fun of it before. A PG thirteen horror film, right. which is kind of like sugar free ice cream, <laughs> unless you're really good and you can scare the pants off of somebody. It's that's not a thing. Yeah. So. But there was some interesting stuff in there. I mean, they did Company of Wolves. Oh, the Neil Jordan, yeah. Yeah. Neil Jordan before he was Neil Jordan. Right. 
Um, so anyway, that, that that is out there. That's worth checking out. I I really and and then mm. did it make me want to go back and watch Death Wish three? No, you didn't get the Blu-ray of Bolero. <laughs> yeah, that that was the other funny thing was um, my my dear friend Laura and her husband Greg and their 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 son Andrew. Andrew is about fourteen, and uh, I kept assuring. Uh, we'll skip through the bolero parts and the Lady <laughs> Chatterley's Lover parts, and we're like, "Oh gosh, there it is." Sorry, yep. sorry, sorry. Slipped in there. Um, I remember seeing bolero when that came. I was I was eleven, wow, or thirteen. Because um, hold on a second, when did that come out? It uh, was, bolero was oh, eighty four. Oh gosh, I was fourteen. Yeah, that there was a lot of nothing in between scenes involving honey, <laughs> and those who know but, what exactly what I'm talking about. But the same year they put out a Cassavetti's film, Love Streams. Love Streams. Yeah. I love Cassavetes. That's yeah. So I mean, weird. Just just a yeah. fascinating company. So go look for Electric Boogaloo. That is out there. Um. So yeah, Black Mama. This goes back to the fact that Black Mama, White Mama is on Blu-ray, as well as the Peter Fonda, Bruce Dern film, The Trip. Oh boy. Where Peter Fonda takes LSD for the first time, and mm-hmm. well, sixty cinematic things happen to him, <laughs> and he's he's under the guidance of a bearded Bruce Dern, and right. you know they they were taking a break from riding motorcycles to experiment with uh, with drugs. So there's mm-hmm. that. That is that is out there if you are into that uh, sort of thing on Blu-ray. Um, okay, I, hold on. I got again. I I have to run the board and host at the same time. I it's like chewing gum and walking. But um, I think it's time that we, and I can't find it. No, you know no. what? Let's take a short break, and then we'll get into dead people we like, and who knows what else, because it's Lou and Matt in studio. Could go anywhere. Could go anywhere. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. <laughs> show of uh, dead people we like uh, <laughs> there's a there's a pretty big one this we week we don't yeah. have time for dead people we don't like yes thanks chris welcome back to film sociology a film talk show here on wfyi hd to the point and wfyi.org if you have a question or a comment you can email me at msoci at wfyi.org also on facebook also on twitter at matthew sosi hanging out with lou harry from the ibj and as chris said it is time for dead people we like because we don't have time for dead people we don't like and and there's a few names i, I i'm uh, a little behind but uh we will make up and we will salute so uh working actor because I, because as my, I, I try not to say character actor because my right. lovely wife says all actors are character Characters. actors. But, but Larry Drake, mm-hmm. 
mm -hmm. uh, passed away. Best known for his work in the Dark Man series as well as L.A. Law. L.A. Law, I think, got, was got an really Emmy. anchored him. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but it was always fun, especially when they're known for television. What they did before they became famous, mm -hmm. or what they were doing. You know, as far as their film work as compared to their TV work. So go, right. we go all the way back to 1971's "This Stuff Will Kill Ya." Right. As Bubba. I don't know that. So then there's <laughs> Trucker's Woman. I got a feeling I know what that's about, but that's probably, uh, yeah. No. As uh, Diesel Joe. Good. Yeah, Date with a Kidnapper from 1976. Um, then we go to 1980, and I actually saw this film, Battle Creek Brawl. Tell starring, us about Battle Creek Brawl. Well, it stars Jackie Chan, and it was it was, it was also known as The Big Brawl. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is 1980s, so this was uh, Robert Klaus, the guy who produced... Um, entered the dragon, and he was trying to find. It, it, basically, they were trying to push Chan as the next Bruce Lee, mm -hmm. and he did films like this and The Protector, and of course, he was in the Cannonball Run series, and it just didn't. Uh, Chan's style did not mesh with American filmmakers at that point until he was able to get films like Rebel of the Bronx, and had more of a pull, more of his Hong Kong tendencies happening in American cinema. Right. But I like Battle Creek Crawl. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a goofier uh, martial arts film compared to say what Bruce Lee did in the seventies. But then there's some odd TV stuff in the mix because he was Baptista in Taming of the Shrew. He was in the American who, American. Who was the couple in that version of Shrew? Do we know? Oh, I I can find out real quick. He was also but in I'm... the. Um, um, TV American Playhouse version of the skin of our teeth. See, so I like that. So it's it, you. The guy worked. The guy yeah. had a great range. And and of course, sometimes Hollywood has a way of pigeonholing you in a certain thing. And he he kind of yeah. got that a little bit. But the fact is, yeah, he could do Shakespeare and he could do Skin of Our Teeth. Right. That Tammy of the Shrew. Nobody you would probably know in the leads, but Bruce Davison was uh, Tranio. Oh, right. so, okay. Yes, he was still young then. There you go. Uh, yeah, he was in the apparently in the Karate Kid, the Ladies Club for Keeps, and then yeah. Be, Kind of really became known, uh, especially during L.A. Law, but he was also a Durant in the Dark Man series. Right. Um, Dr. Giggles, where he got his own mm -hmm. starring vehicle, so that mm -hmm. was pretty cool. He got that shot. Uh, and then kept working. I mean, there was uh, a lot of these, obviously, I have not seen, but hey, his check's cleared. Right. <laughs> but, but appearing in films like Bean and American Pie 2, but he also did you know a lot of yeah. TV. You get a chance he's not saying no to a lot of stuff, but he's working. Exactly. And that's all we really look mm -hmm. for is, is, is to work. Mm -hmm. Probably the last film I know of him doing that I saw was 2002's Spun, where he played mm. uh, Dr. K. So so salute to that, right. as well as actor Joe Santos, um, best known as uh, as one of the guys in the Rockford Files. Um, oh, gosh. I... Uh, not the, the one who the one who works with uh police detective who works with Rockford in in his own way um lieutenant um oh lieutenant becker sorry i'm i'm very old um but i was going back to what what he worked on beforehand he had a he had a bit part uncredited in the 1968 thriller the detective with frank sinatra mm -hmm. back when Sinatra's still making movies. Panic in Needle Park. Okay. Pretty good. The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight from 1971 was in the Fred Williamson film The Legend of <clears throat> Charlie from 1972. And depending what part of the country, it was called The Legend of Black Charlie or The Legend of Charlie. You kind of know where I'm going. Well, then a lot of, a lot of TV, which is, uh, which is kind of one of the things that's neat in his resume. Do you remember the TV show Police Story? I don't know if people remember this. It was an anthology show, so it was a whole different show every week uh, having to do with police procedural sure. stuff. 
he played like t- eight different parts. <laughs> Not in the same like, one. It's like, yeah, he was the only guy they could find playing completely different characters in different episodes. Well, and I guess, you know, when you have a good reputation and yeah. you're easy to work with and you do a good job, they keep calling you back. We so know who'll get the work done. It's, it, it's like that scene in uh, Splash where uh, Madison is crying watching the TV and Tom Hanks looks over and says, that, that's Bonanza. <laughs> See, that guy who just got killed, he's he's just pretending he's going to get up after the show's over and get killed on another show mm-hmm. in another week. So kind of kind of a little bit that with Joe. But wound down, I mean, you know, seven episodes of The Sopranos, so he was in there. That's true, near that. Yeah, I, I also saw him in Shaft's Big Score. First thing I really saw him of note, even before Rockford Files, was he was he was a lieutenant in 1973's Seamus, starring oh. Burt Reynolds as a New York detective at around Diane when Burt Reynolds was the number one actor in the country exactly um, a film that's near and dear to this show's heart because I made Kobe Slago watch it and he said it was slow um, that's it, but he said uh, Kobe would say films from the 70s he, his uh, his code was the 70s were a different time that's his way mm. of saying the film was slow but for me is a great crime drama from 1973 the friends of Eddie Coyle wow. And most 70s and, uh, films, there's a better chance than not that it ends with a freeze frame <laughs> and has a lot of zooming. And music by Dave Grusin. <laughs> and if it's not Dave Grusin, Quincy Jones. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he was, I really, that, that's an underrated, everybody talks about Boston crime thrillers mm-hmm. like The Town and The Departed. Right. You know what? It's dad is the friends mm-hmm. of Eddie Coyle. Yeah. So there. Mm-hmm. He also started in The Don is Dead. He also started in Zandy's Bride, a Western with Lee Ullman and Gene Hackman. Mm-hmm. I never miss a Lee Ullman Western. I, I, well, <laughs> I there aren't enough one. of those. I, not, not enough Swedish filmmakers made American Western. So there. Uh, but yeah, Police Story, Rockford Files, Me and Max, Blue Thunder. I forgot about that. Yeah, uh, what, um, Waterworld, right? Uh, I think we're at that. Yeah, Fear City, the Abel Ferrara film from 84. Um, hold on. Was he in that? No, no, I don't think so. Uh, oh, Revenge. no, The Postman. He was in The he was Postman. In the Postman. I'm the sorry. other, the other Costner debacle. So, uh, The Right Way, Man from Elysian Fields. Yeah, The Last Boy Scout. That's that's. You have to have several cocktails watching that. And uh, played Lopez in a TV film version of The Old Man and the Sea. Hmm. Because you don't turn that down if you get to follow right. in Spencer Tracy. Now, um, a writer whose work was adapted for a few films and a very distinctive voice and a very distinctive mm. style, author Pat Conroy. Yeah, uh, I, I stumbled onto Pat Conroy when I was a, a kid going to see a movie I knew nothing about. Um, it was Conrack. John Voight, Which right? I didn't realize. I knew nothing about Pat Conroy. It was based on his semi-autobiographical The Water is Wide. And John Voight is a teacher in a, in a Carolina island community, very uh, educationally challenged community. I mean, it was, right. you know, in hindsight, it's... The white guy goes and saves it's, the minority kids. but uh, it's, To serve with love in the bayou kind yeah, of thing. Right. But um, I remember just being really moved by it and and liking that. St- and then grew to read some of his books and there learn you more about him that way. Well, is and, and I, I have the feeling that all of his works were semi-autobiographical. Yeah, yeah. Therefore, I think Pat Conroy should be sainted because, right. because he, he went through a lot, apparently, if that's right. the case. So you're betting he did take a basketball to the head at some point. I don't know. I hope not. But yeah, yeah so yeah, as, as, as uh, Lou said, 1974's Conrack. The next one, 1979's The Great Santini. Great film mm-hmm. with, God, Robert Duvall. Miles O'Keefe, My- Michael O'Keefe, Blythe Danner. Yeah, there's there's a famous scene. It was so famous they mocked it in in Austin Powers yeah, wow. uh, with Duvall yeah. and a basketball. But yeah, the Lords of Discipline, which I remember seeing with my yeah. dad in the theater. 
I was 13. And probably the thing that he's best known for, or at least the biggest of the film adaptations, 1991's uh, The Prince of Tides. Right. Which, um, well, Nick Nolte's great and bad. And Apparently they, all psychiatrists have to have Nine Inch Nails right. and, and they, members of Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, Barbara Streisand. And they wisely, though, cut about a third of that book. There was a whole There's subplot a with a brother that... You know, there's great writing in the book. It's a, but it's a, it, it but, can be a, a, a drag of a film. Right. So anyway, that a uh, big salute to Pat. Now I, we forgot to mention this, and I, I had printed this out, but uh, actress Rita Gam, who, uh, again, working working woman, in theater it, and oh, movies. By that he means working as yeah, an actress. Working as an actress, going all the way back to 1950 in shows like TV series like Believe It or Not, Lights Out, Love of Life, Danger. Hmm. Um, films like The Thief, Night People, Sign of the Pagan. First thing I know, she was, I hope I'm saying this right, uh, she was Herodias in King of Kings oh. with the very hunky Jeffrey Hunter as Jesus Christ. Oh, and, Happy yeah. Easter, everybody. Thank you, Christ. She also appeared in Sinners Go to Hell in 1962, played Trina, Trina in Clute. 1971 and the Otto Preminger debacle, such good friends from 1971, ooh, which ooh. features a nude scene from Burgess Meredith. Yeah, and, and uh, also appeared in the film Midnight from 1989. Okay, a couple others, that, and one we just got mm. from uh, yesterday, but uh, Ken Howard. Ken Howard, yeah. And, and I love the fact that he is, yes, he was the president of SAG for many years. Right. But an, another guy going from stage to screen to TV. Yeah. And in that neat migration with the uh, the musical 1776 where that rarity where instead of like recasting it all with Hollywood stars. Oh, my God. And this is in the late 60s and 70s when they would cast actors who have no business singing. You're right. And this is also in the, you know, we'll cast a 20-something-year-old Barbara Streisand in Hello, Dolly. <laughs> yes. You know, but they took most of the cast of Broadway 1776 migrated them out, shot the movie, and uh, there's Ken Howard as Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, a, 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 this is a film we watch at least once a year in our mm-hmm. house. It's July 4th. Yeah. I always I always debate between that and Yankee Doodle Dandy. <laughs> I still think it's an underrated musical, an oh. underappreciated musical. Um, uh, Encores in New York, which revived, does like, you know, one weekend revivals or six performance concert versions, is doing 1776, inspired by, um, by Hamilton. Sure. And do it using a mixed race cast, and they're going to uh, bring it. You know, I hope they record it. It should be interesting. That would be really cool. And there was a lovely production of it a few seasons ago down at uh, Cardinal Stage down in Bloomington. Yes, professional I production. Do remember that? A... My my father in law has played. He's played. Uh, Jer- uh, no, he played Franklin. I think twice. Uh-huh. Um, and and because we bring up 1776, I have to bring up my friend and our friend Abdul Kim Shabazz, mm-hmm. who loves the musical as well. And I actually used a John Adams clip when he is here for the intro, but he he wanted to be one of the pages. He's always wanted to play one of the pages just so he can walk in, do his bit, and as he's about ready to leave, turn around and look at Jefferson and go, by the way, Mom says hi, bring back some eggs, some milk, some butter, and are you coming home for dinner tonight? There you go. Thank right. you, History Buffs. So, but that wasn't it for, I mean, Ken Howard did continue both in uh, film and TV and- yep. A fair amount of uh, of Broadway as well. Yeah, so I want to go back to the first thing uh, of 
of no, he apparently he did an episode of New, NYPD in 1969, not NYPD Blue, mm-hmm. but starred in the Otto Preminger melodrama Tell Me That You Love Me, Junie Moon, oh, with a yeah. young Liza Vanelli, very young Liza Vanelli, young Fred Williamson, also appeared in Such Good Friends, mm. not the nude scene with Burgess Meredith, the strange, <laughs> it's the Such Good Friends curse, apparently, yeah, the strange vengeance of Rosalie from 1972, yeah, 1776, and and I've joked because uh, Ken Howard and I both have something in common. We've both pretended to be married to Blythe Danner. <laughs> uh, he played Jefferson. And, of course, they did a TV series version of Adam's Rib briefly in the early 70s with wow. Ian Blythe. Now, on the Broadway track, he yes. also kept the White House and did 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, the notorious Broadway bomb, as yep. the president. Not, well, he does have a, a presidential, yeah. authoritative figure. And, and, and he Well, it started when he was wearing you know short shorts in the white shadow mm-hmm. back in the uh, the mid the late 70s. But yeah, films like Oscar and yeah, he, I remember he had a bit part in Rambo and I'm like, wow, you're here? Um, <laughs> At First Sight, The Net. He, of course, played a committee chairman in Clear and Present Danger, Inner Shoes, Michael Clayton. The Wedding Ringer, he was also in The Judge and J. Edgar. And I know he was one of the bosses in 30 Rock. Yeah, I don't know how good – I mean, I don't think any of the uh, any of the kids in The White Shadow, though, made it to the NBA, unfortunately. No, so I'm, I'm questioning his abilities as a – As a coach? Even made it into major – you know, I mean, where did Timothy Van Patten go? He became a sidekick in Master Ninja <laughs> with Lee Van Cleef. Um, no, I, I think it's – I think back then it wasn't about the record – it, right. it was more about life lessons for oh, students. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Then, then that makes sense. And Ken Howard's last film, he had he, he was the mop executive in David O. Russell's film Joy. That just oh. came out uh, early, 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 at the oh, end of last go. year. So salute to him. And now we heard, Gary, of course, yesterday with Gary Shandling. Yeah. Um, guy who helped change TV a little bit with right. his two sitcoms. But never really was able to figure out a way to – and it's not clear how much he really cared – but to click I, as a movie actor. No, he did not have a... Well, the one starring vehicle I can think of is What Planet Are You From, which I really, really didn't like. Right, right. And, you know, was was doing a lot of second banana stuff in films like like Warren Beatty's Love Affair mm-hmm. and Mixed Nuts. Of course, he was in the ensemble Hurley Burley. That's a film that needs... Wow. That's a play that needs to be looked at again. That should be looked at. There was um, a revival, but... Yeah, that's that's a that's a rough sausage fest. Um, <laughs> was a voice in Doctor Doolittle. Yeah, was also in the ill ill advised town and country. One of the most expensive oh, romantic comedies amazingly ever made. Awful movie. Bad. But, Zool, but a himself. great voice. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah, and very funny. I yes. mean, there was you oh, know, extremely the, funny. The fact that he was able to get two shows and have creative control over them, mm-hmm. and uh, it, you know, curtailed to his humor as opposed to the other way around. That's that's something. Well, to, to and be the commended. whole Office, Parks and Rec, all those movies. Oh, so. Much much to the Larry Sanders show. Yep, exactly. So, uh, of course, he did voices in Over the Hedge, Was in Zo- played himself in Zoolander, and, of course, was Senator Stern in Iron but, Man 2 and Captain America. And also, and this is very important, since yes, you sir. mentioned our, our friend Abdul, he wrote for Sanford and Son. Yeah, that, you know what? That was um, actually on Fresh Air. Yeah. On uh, Friday, they did, uh, uh, they replayed that as well as uh, Carol just came out on DVD. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was one of those that they were able to do a quick turnaround <laughs> and devote half the show to, uh, to Gary Shandling. And also, if you read uh, Judd Apatow's book, and you can tolerate. Is it twenty-two pages? Is it twenty pages too long? Well, yeah. Well, you, if you could tolerate him saying the same stories fourteen times. Oh, well, all of his encounters with no, comics. Him just telling the same story of the creation of Freaks and Geeks and all that. It, it, <laughs> it, you just have to be able to skip those. But there's a wonderful interview with Gary Shand, uh, Chandling in there. Cool. 
So there we go. Um, so yeah, we, we, we salute them because their 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 contribution is done, but their contribution lives on. So right. we that's why we like dead people. We like. So Lou, how are things uh, over at the IBJ? IBJ is going really, really well. We are um, those of you who don't who don't pick up the paper or haven't picked it up. Pick up a paper. Pick up a paper. But uh, we're also at ibj.com/arts. You can find all the art stuff. We do a lot of ticket giveaways and things like that. But I do a review column every week, plus review additional stuff on the blog. Sometimes films. The Batman v Superman review is up, um, but also museums, theater, uh, galleries, dance, whatever is out there. So uh, lots of uh, lots of critical reviews, which you don't get a whole lot of places anymore. Um, in addition to feature stories um, and. Everything else that we could possibly, plus dining reviews, you get your dining reviews in there too. So if uh, if people aren't uh, keen up for Batman versus Superman or my big fat Greek wedding too, what should what do you think? What what would be lose picks for the weekend or or the beginning of next week? Ah, uh, the weekend or the beginning of next? Oh, the one thing you must. And it is Easter weekend, so be be advised as far right. as t- stage time, screen time, whatever. There's a couple things. One. Okay. Um, if you care about just great writing, great acting, great design, and just wonderful theater experience, I've been here 20 years in Indianapolis. I don't think I've any, seen anything at the Indiana Repertory Theater stronger than their production of Fences. Hi, David August Anderson. Wilson's play. Please go see Fences. Send the you know one. You're gonna. Have, it's an amazing play done impeccably well. Um, but also, it's an opportunity to say, hey, we really like quality theater and will support it. There you um, go. An amazing production there. And for those uh, paying attention, August, it's one of August Wilson's 10 plays set in the 20, a different decade of the 20th century. Denzel Washington is going to be putting all of those on film. Which explains why he's been doing the Equalizer, Man on Fire, <laughs> right. and getting a ridiculous amounts of money for kind of coasting through action films. He's, so I'm okay with that now. Right. This is a part that he played on, Denzel Washington played on Broadway in the revival in the original production. It was James Earl Jones. Here we have David Allen Anderson, who is as good as any of them. There you go. Um, so I would do that. I would check out the Grand Canyon exhibition at the Idol George Museum. Uh, which I just uh, took a peek at uh, just today, actually, as we're recording this. Uh, the 200 Years of Indiana Art Show at the uh, Indiana State Museum is worth checking out. And, of course, there's the Fountain Square Music Festival if you hear this on Saturday. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or Sunday. It's, it's all in the timing, really, it's with all this show. in so. the timing. And it's also a play. It's all in the timing. That's so. right. So there are lots of opportunities. I do a priority list every week, which gives you some guidance to what is what is out there and might be worth you checking out. So that's something you can find at ibj.com slash arts. And I guess if you're up for road trips, I have to mention this because it is a family show, my family show. Um, <laughs> Earlham College's production of You're in Town runs next weekend and runs the first two weekends in April at uh, Earlham College, beautiful uh, Richmond, Indiana. Nice. It is, um, contrary to what it looks like on the map, it is probably 70 minutes from right. downtown Indy to Earlham College. It's worth the drive. You can get ho- you can get there faster than you can from downtown to Zionsville. Right. We have people who live on the north side who think that, you know, University of Indiana Indianapolis is in Kentucky. We have people living downtown. Who need a passport to go south of 56th Street. Right, and people are afraid to go north of of 86. It's easy to get around here, folks. It is. I'm sharing that as somebody who uh, spent his formative years in the Philadelphia area. Thank you. I grew up in Flint, Michigan. I'm fine. Uh, (laughs) but, But I grew up an hour north of Detroit. Went to Ball State, so I was used to driving to Indy for stuff. My first newspaper job was in, I lived in Covington, Indiana, so I was an Mm -hmm. hour's drive from Indy, Terre Haute, Champaign, and Lafayette. 
lived an hour, uh, 45 minutes to an hour west of Chicago, and now in Richmond. So I'm used to driving for stuff. Right. There's no excuse. But you have one of the best new play festivals in the country, the Humana Festival of New American Plays going on down in Louisville. But you also have you have IU Cinema where you can see great movies and impeccably, I use that word again, presented. You've got your stuff going on at Ball State. You, you get out there. Do stuff. Do you have IU Cinema up? This is this is one of the reasons. Actually, I have it. This is why I miss Kobe mm-hmm. Slagle. Um, hold on a second. Okay, here we go. Um, at his alma mater, because it's Saturday at 3 o'clock, you have, uh, oh, I'm going to say the translated title, Boy and the World at 3 p.m. And for you fans of Japanese animation, 1988's Akira at 7 o'clock. Monday, the 28th, you have the Scott Curtis Lecture at 3 p.m., followed by Seeds of Time, which is by it's, it's, it's at standby-only status. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monday, the 28th at 7 p.m. Tuesday, the 29th, Gip's Last Day at the Ironing Board Factory at 7 o'clock. Thursday, the 31st, ah, Embrace of the Serpent from uh, 2015. Mm-hmm. That was up for Best Foreign Film, I believe, 7 o'clock on Thursday, the 31st. And Friday, April 1st, No Foolin', Lisa the Fox Fairy at 6.30 p.m. And you will not see a film better presented uh, than you will at IU Cinema. There you go. So with that being said, um, how are we on time? We're all right on time? Yeah, we're okay on time. Okay. Lou, what if you, if, if, if you watch anything new or old or unusual lately cinematically? And, and what is movie like, like at the Harry House? <laughs> well, actually, last night what we ended up doing, and my son's on spring break and we had a friend over. And we had that, that one of those, what, you've never seen conversations? That's my life 24-7, but so go on. We had a you've never seen conversation and the friend had never seen. So we watched Willow. Oh. Which they had never seen. It's a good one. Which is a wonderful, for those of you who uh, who were not there in that window of time, the post-Star Wars, pre-Lord of the Rings trying period. To make, trying to make a new sci-fi saga. Right, but in a fantasy, we're basically trying to do Star Wars in a fantasy. We're borrowing liberally from everything from the Ten Commandments to Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Um, with and, absolutely charming, fascinating lead character. And and Val Kilmer before he went bat spit crazy. Val Kilmer, like, while he's still in the glow from real genius. You know, that, oh my that era where you actually like, dug the guy? Yes. Um, <laughs> one, the special effects, some of them hold up and some don't quite. But you have to realize it was 1986. It was 86. So, you know. Pretty remarkable. Cut in some slack. The adventure scenes work. You care about them. A wonderful... Uh, yeah, supporting fun Kevin Pollock with a, a really a silly French thing. accent yeah. as a brownie. Yep, um, Joanne Wally and uh, yeah. Warwick Davis. War is, uh, and I always think it's like Willow, and then the scene with uh, he has with Ricky Gervais and Liam Neeson, where Neeson wants to do improvisational comedies. So. Not in that movie. No, not in that movie. But <laughs> good, you know. And but also, Ron Howard movie. Yeah, it was was after Cocoon. Ooh, I believe I think, so. think it was. So, but yeah, that was our. That's how it tends to happen. As a wait, you didn't see yeah. moments. Um, we had that. Well, I, I think that the group, of course, that I have movies with, um, none of them, including my daughter, have seen Citizen Kane. So oh. I think we're ready for next week. Oh, okay. Uh, a couple other notes at the. Hist- Are you going to have dinner beforehand at a really long table oh, in gosh. silence? And, and I'm going to clap for ten minutes. <laughs> um, mark your calendars: April eighth and 9th at the Historic Art Craft Theater in Franklin, a league of their own. At 2 and 7.30 p.m., make sure you use the restroom before seeing the movie. Just don't go as long as Tom Hanks. (laughs) And then Saturday, April 2nd, 
at the IMA at mm. 10 a.m. at the DeBoas Lecture Hall as a part of their serial cinema, The Land Before Time. Oh, there you go. And so, you get your uh, breakfast cereal beforehand. Exactly. Always fun. Are we missing anything else? We were about ready to wrap uh, things up around here. Yeah, we're probably too late to hear that Saturday night down at Garfield Park, to be or not to be, Carol Lombard. Oh, that one. Yes. Yeah. Before Mel Brooks and Ann Bancroft, there right. was Carol Lombard. So, mm-hmm. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I believe it's time for Words to Live By. Silent Breed is people! Zardoz has spoken. Lou, for more information, where can people find you besides at your house? IBJ.com slash arts when it has to do with arts and entertainment around the Indianapolis area and beyond. And then LouHarry.com if you're interested in my own other projects. And his other projects. His other projects. So happy Easter, everybody. Go see a good movie if you can. You deserve it. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, Michigan.